At Speedway, no thirst goes unquenched, and that includes yours. Right now, any size Speedy Freeze or fountain drink is only 99 cents. Find your nearest Speedway at speedway.com slash locations. Speedway, summer happens here. Excludes maximum Speedy Freeze or fountain drink. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, here's a question for you. Why do some marriages work while others die out? Nietzsche once tried to answer this by saying... Quote, it is not a lack of love, but a lack of friendship that makes unhappy marriages. So, if the German philosopher is correct, it would mean that the victim and killer in tonight's story may have love, but they were definitely not friends. That is, unless your definition of friendship means blasting a sawed-off shotgun in your lover's face and leaving the dying body to bleed out all over your basement floor. And I'm ready to get back to school and John gave us the hint of study hall. And the drink that we are drinking tonight is called Nerds. Let's take a sip. It's it is, like cosmic green. It's like Kelly green. You know, I don't hate it. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. You did a good job of that lemonade, Nicole. We did have homemade lemonade in here. It is blue curacao Midori. And Nicole's homemade lemonade, and we also used the Western Sun freeze pops as ice cubes, which melted. But that's okay; it only added to the drink. All right, Nicole. So study hall tonight. Where are we going? Who are we killing inside the study hall? <sighs> okay, uh, I think we're going to North Carolina tonight. Okay, I don't know why, and <laughs> I'm going to say we're going to 1994, and I think this is going. To be a not a school shooting case. I think this is going to be a case where a student does kill another student, though. I think it's, it's where they they kill him like after school. I know the hint was study hall, but I think it, they like let's take this outside yeah. kind of thing. Interesting. Beat him to a pulp. Interesting. I was going to guess Columbine. I don't want it to be Columbine because that's a that's a sad sad story. Um, I also don't want it to be Marjorie Stoneham. Because uh, that's also a sad story. And also Sandy Hook. So please number those. But if they are any of those, then put it on the record that I was right. And I had three guesses. All right. we're <laughs> Tonight we're combining Columbine and Sandy Hook. What do you mean? I'm just kidding. Oh, God. I was like, well, I'm going to need more booze. <laughs> but did, sad as but did you know that it, 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 this is an interesting fact, but it's a, also a very sad fact, is that March 2020 was the first month since 2002 that there was not a school shooting. That's because everyone's sitting wow. at home. With I know. Because yeah. school's not in session. <laughs> That's sad. Isn't that amazing? I mean, aside from summer vacation, I'm assuming. That's sad that the only yeah. reason why oh. there hasn't been a school shooting is because we've been fucking quarantined. Yeah. I mean, it's a good side effect. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah. That's the only positive this quarantine. That is, that's kind of sad that that there have been that many. And before our surprise shot segment, sorry guys, I just want to give a shout out to everyone that was hit by those tornadoes recently. I know I spent an hour and a half in our bathtub. (laughs) So I was like, there's a tornado warning. Okay. Okay. Let me put the dogs in with John. He's asleep. That's not even that's not even how the conversation went. I was freaking out. You weren't really concerned. I was like, there's a tornado that's gonna come and you're like, okay, so sit in the bathtub. And I was like, okay. I say, I you did. Not, no, yes, I said, I said, did. I said, well, I guess the bathtub's the safest place to be. Why would that be the safest place? That's, the that's, place, that's where that's you're supposed to go. In the bathtub? In a, yeah, yeah, in a tornado. Away a room inside, away from the we windows. We don't have a basement, so <sighs> anyway. Uh... Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. Tequila and I feel like I tasted cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Fireball. We had fireball? Uh, I had a couple of nips, yeah. Oh, Probably that wasn't so bad, actually. No, it wasn't. It was good. For tequila, that was a good one without the lime. Tonight, we're doing a story for our very good friend and tacos primo, Rowan. Rowan! Oh, hey, Rowan. What's up? 
Probably because she yelled at me for not doing her story. Hi, I am Rowan, and I picked this story because it's close to home to me. I grew up two towns over in Watertown, Wisconsin, and um, I requested it because not only is it close to me, um, I also lived in Jefferson, and I also thought the Talk Murder to Me squad would really enjoy it. It's kind of a weird, wacky story, so... Yeah, I hope you had fun researching it, John, and I hope everybody else likes it. So thank you for finally getting to my request. I appreciate it. Much love from the road. Thanks, Rowan. Thanks, Rowan. Yeah. Uh, Rowan, also we would like to thank you for what you're doing as a truck driver. Oh, yes. And bringing all of the stores, well, not all of the stores, the store that you drive to, supplies during this time. Thank you. Do you have you. toilet paper on your truck? Send some to us. We're running low. All right. Tonight, we're going to Easter. A Sunday? Like that just happened. Yeah. April 3rd, 1994. So. You, you said 94. I said that. Whoa. I got one part right. <laughs> what happened in yeah. 1994? Kurt Cobain, Nirvana. All right. So here are some of the things that happened in 1994. The yearly inflation rate was 2.61. No, we don't care about that. Let me see. Tonya Harding wins the National <gasps> Figure Skating Competition. That I, Tonya movie was actually really good. That was excellent. Against Nancy Kerrigan. Oh, this is before she uh, yeah. Yeah. whacked her knees? Because mm-hmm. that was 96 in Georgia. Ah. There was some war in Rwanda, wherever that's at. Let me uh, see. Some war. It was between the Hutus and the Tutsis. The genocide? It was a genocide. Oh. They have a movies and books about it. I read a couple of them. Oh. Left to Tell. Hotel Ru- Rwanda? With John Don Cheadle. I actually thought he was Rwandan. He's not. He's American. Okay. Well, in other news, um, Netscape was launched. Wow. They were browsing the web. OJ Simpson flees the police. Popular television, Law and Order, America's Funniest Home Videos, One Foot in the Grave, Rugrats, The Jerry Springer Show, Ren and Stimpy Show, Absolute Fabulous, Beavis and Butthead, Frasier, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, yes. NYPD, Blue, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. Oh, my God. What was her name? Deep Space Nine, that girl. She was like a Borg. She's fucking hot. Seven of Nine or something. I used to have a crush on her. Anyway, The Late Show with David Letterman and The X-Files. <laughs> So tonight we're going to 1994. We're going to Easter morning. This murder happened on Easter morning. Sunday, bloody Sunday. And actually, there's been a lot of both television shows and movies made about this. Really? And I want to say, Rowan, I know I know you yelled at me for not doing your story, but I'm glad I did because it's a great story. Thank you so much. Our tacos know how to put down. Tonight we're going to Jefferson, Wisconsin. April 3rd, 1994. This was Easter morning. This 911 call comes into dispatchers. Dispatchers? Dispatchers. I'm going to stop my dad. Where does this happen? I'm Barefoot Road. all over. Okay, what is your name? Chuck Barker. Okay, Chuck, is he breathing at this time? Yeah, he's yelling. Okay. If you couldn't understand that, the 911 call came in the person on the line was very calm somebody just shot my dad the 911 dispatcher said is he breathing and then you can actually hear the dad in the background say tell them to hurry up and the caller which was the 16 year old son of the father in a calm voice says yes you know he's telling you guys to hurry up the person that was shot was Ruben Borchart B-O-R-C-H-A-R-D-T. This call came in at 3.35 a.m. from his 16-year-old son, Chuck Borchardt. This is what happened on that night. It was just him and his father in the house that his father owned. Now, his Mm -hmm. father was sleeping in the basement, as I'll get to in a little bit. But Chuck says he hears a noise. And since he's kind of upstairs... And it's separated by, you know, the partitions of the wall. He doesn't really hear the shotgun blast. It is a shotgun, but it is muffled. He does hear a sound and it's 335 in the morning. So he goes to check to make sure everything's okay. And he hears 
what he tells detectives sounds like a quote cow mooing. Really? A cow mooing. A cow mooing. He tells detectives it sounded like a cow mooing. He walks into the hall and he hears his moaning and groaning, and it's actually his dad. In pain. In pain. I guess and, I could see that sounding like a cow. No. And if you heard from the 911 call, you could barely hear him. Did y'all hear the dad in the background say, tell him to hurry up? I heard no. I heard something. I didn't hear the words. I just, I, I heard a voice. I didn't know what it said. I didn't hear that at all. Okay, listen one more time. Okay, Chuck, is he breathing at this time? Yeah, he's yelling. Did you hear it? Yeah. Did you hear it when he says uh, he's yelling, telling to they got to hurry fast? It sounds interesting because you you hear it. He's not desperate or anything. He sounds very matter of fact, which is good. But if you're putting yourself in Chuck's position, the son calling... You think Chuck did it? I the son, the sixteen-year-old yeah. son. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I don't. I don't yeah. know if he did it, but he might have been involved. Why wouldn't he just shoot him again? Because he's obviously not dead. I mean, you to heard make him. it seem more realistic that he was trying to save him. I had to call nine one one for the very first time last week at work mm. for someone who was like feeling like really bad and needed an ambulance, and it was not as stressful as I thought it would be. So it's hard to say, but at the same time, the person that I was trying to help was not shot and bleeding all over the place. But and then they canceled the call because they started feeling better. But but also you you didn't know them. Like right. I've had that's a good point. I've had to call the ambulance for work a couple of times, and I would think it'd be very different than if it was your parent who was right. shot. Also, but yeah, like I, having you have an emotional connection with this person. Like, you can hear a little bit of wavering in his voice, but not to the point where it's like, oh, my God, my dad was shot. Somebody please help. It was like, my dad has been shot. There's blood all over. Yeah. Like, he's saying to please hurry up. Like, it's not. Even if I was like, oh, my God, I accidentally shot Jim with a BB gun or something or like our bow and arrow that we're about to get. I'd be like, oh, my God, I fucked up. Somebody help me. Yes, I'm putting this out there right now that I probably will end up with an arrow in my body <laughs> somewhere. So... This is going to be interesting. <laughs> or I will be at fault. <laughs> Everyone stare clear. But yeah, I mean, like you would be, but you would be nervous if it was someone one you knew or two, if there wasn't like a visible injury. All right, go to talkmer.com. I'm putting uh, all the crime scene photos up there. I want to show you kind of what the scene looks like before we progress any further. And it was a shotgun, you said? That must have been messy. This is the couch that he was sleeping on. He you was see, shot while he was in, on the couch. Well, yeah, the, cou- the couch slash bed. You see the blood on the floor? Yeah. The blood right there on the sofa That's a couch. a lot of blood. It's saturated. Yeah, it's and this like- is his home right here, as you can see. It's kind of, it's kind of remote. They kind of live in a remote spot, kind of way out there in the country. Too big. Too big of a yard. Yeah. and go- Too much maintenance. You see right here, this is a uh, bullet shell they found. It's a 410 shotgun was the murder weapon. Here's some more blood. It's a lot of blood there. Yeah. This is some more blood on the couch. And well, we learned from our BTK killer that a magnum is even more powerful than that. Yeah, I use magnums, but not not the okay. not the guns. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm talking about the condoms. Thanks. Oh, I thought you were talking about the ice cream. It's important to know before the 16-year-old made that phone call to 911, he goes into the kitchen to grab the phone, but is unplugged from the receiver. I'm just going to break it to you. It wasn't the son. I know he sounded really calm on the 911, but you know some people react to things differently than others. Mm. You he know, I'm, is calm, cool, and collected in yeah, a crisis I, situation, man. It wasn't the son, but was he involved? Hmm. Well, we'll get to that. Ah. The victim here is Ruben Borchart. He's 40 years old. He's a self-employed cabinet maker, hmm. and he was found dead in his home Easter Sunday. He shot twice in the chest at close range. Now, here's kind of what happened. The killer came in, and like I said, the father, Ruben, is sleeping in the basement. The father hears something. He hears the door opening, the 
you know, the crack of the wood, the floors. So he starts walking up the stairs from the basement to the main living area. And that's when he's confronted by the killer. Now, the killer has a sawed off 410 shotgun. And it's oh. a pretty, you know, pretty powerful. Well, 410 is a pretty powerful shotgun. But he's, Any shotgun in but general. But the muzzle was, was sawed yeah, off to sawed make it a, like almost kind of like a handgun size? Yeah, exactly. So hmm. you saw off the muzzle. Um, it spreads the shot out faster. You can hit more range. It's I, I believe it's illegal in most I remember most talking states. about this in Bonnie and Clyde, I think. I'm pretty sure it's illegal in most states. Don't quote me on that. But I'm pretty sure you can't be sawing off freaking shotgun barrels. Well, well that would make sense because if I remember from correctly from the Murder in Marple episode, like way, mm. way back, like the shotgun shells are full of like little BBs, right? Yeah. And they kind of just spread Spray. out. So it would... If you saw it off, would it like would it exacerbate? Which is my new favorite word of the no, day. No, it just spreads out quicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I'm saying. Barrel. Yeah, so you can hit more, you know, without aiming. Pretty much, it's, mm. it's you know, a shotgun's a great house defense weapon because you really don't have to think about it. You point and shoot, and you're probably going to hit something because the uh, pellets do spread out like that. But Ruben was shot twice in the chest. So he he walks up the stairs. He's confronted by the killer and the killer just right in the chest. If you get shot by a shotgun in the chest and you're standing on the the bottom stair, you're going back. So he flew back. The killer or Ruben? The Ruben. Okay. The victim. He flew back because of the power of the blast throws him back on his ass. He actually gets up. Oh. And it's probably because it was a sawed off. It's, it went it further. It spread out, but it's less deadly, if mm, you right. will. He actually got up and got his composure. Plus, he didn't get hit in the face. He got hit in the chest. He actually tries to walk back up the stairs, and he shot once more. Hmm. Now, this is after the killer reloaded. So he had time to reload and then shot him, finished him off. And then he wasn't dead there. I mean, do you remember the 911 call? Yeah, you could hear him. him, Yeah, But he did die a few hours later. He was rushed to Jefferson Hospital. Then they were going to fly him via helicopter to the, you know, the emergency hospital. And he died on the way. Oh, a medevac. He died on Easter Sunday. All right. A little bit about Ruben. He is a self-employed cabinet maker. He is self-employed, yes, but he did have another job as well. He's a silk screen printer. So basically he works at a, a lumber yard and I don't really know his job, but he was a carpenter. He could, in fact, the house that they're living in, he built with hmm. his bare hands. So that's what he did for a living. I believe he just did the cabinet making part time, trying to build up his business. Hmm. He was married to his first wife, Susan. But in February 1979, she was killed in a car accident oh. right in front of that same home that you saw there. So it's been 13 years, but, you know, it's still tragic because they had two children, a daughter and a son. You know, the son, Chuck, he's the one that called. He's now 16. But mm-hmm. where do you think this is going so far? I'm trying to think about how the hint comes into play. I th- I think that Chuck's involved and he had his his friend was mm. trigger happy that they planned this all in study hall. That's mm-hmm. that's my thought. I like that. Well, see, Chuck doesn't really have a motive to kill his father. I no. mean, number one, he's living at home. Where would he go? Right. Number two, they were best friends mm. and they would go shooting together, hunting together, okay. doing everything together. Or is there something about their relationship we don't know? Or is it abusive? the daughter? It wasn't the daughter. Was the father abusive? The father was not abusive, no. But maybe you guys should ask about his wife. Oh. <laughs> I'm like wondering why you haven't asked about his wife. Because you just told us that she would <laughs> died in 1979. His first, his first wife dies in 1979. He goes back to work a month later. He's still shaken up, depressed, and everyone can tell. Well, yeah. I mean, your spouse dies. It's not something you're going to get over in a short amount of time. But he meets a woman. She's a secretary at the same place that he works at ah they start to form a bond that happens in the uh, workplace you know you got to be careful sometimes true but also that's really soon it yeah. is soon but i mean they say i would if haunt you're, your ass no i mean they say if you're happily married and something happens like that then you're quick to get remarried that's like something they say i mean i guess i i can see that wait it, what that you're quick to if, you, if you're if you're happily married before and then your wife dies, you know, suddenly, then you're quick to get remarried. Because you 
want to fill a void in your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I so mean, this is him you, right here. Take you, a look oh, at, he oh, looks yeah. sweet. Yeah, handsome. He, you also can't really control like if you have chemistry and feelings with another person. It's not something that you're like, I want to have chemistry and feelings with this person. If it just happens, it happens. True. Not, not for it Nicole. It's true. You ain't marrying shit if I die. This is true. You're looking at oh, Diane Borchart right here. She looks like Sarah Paulson in that picture, but not in those pictures. Just that one picture. She's known throughout oh. the neighborhood as Miss B. Oh, Borchart. Got it. She actually runs a sports screen. It's like a T-shirt printing yeah. company. Mm -hmm. It's called Miss B Sports Screen in town. Now, they hit it off because she actually felt really sympathetic and almost pitied Ruben coming back to work, and you can tell he's just not okay. He's just all over the place. He's missing his wife. And not only that, he's got two young children. He's got a daughter, Brooke, and a son, who you heard, but at this time he was young. You know, he's a, he was a baby. Mm -hmm. He was two years old. She approached the relationship that they formed not as in, I'm attracted to you, but as in, I want to provide motherly support for you because you're hurting and your two children because right. they need it. You know, even though he is a great father and he has always been the utmost father, Christian father and everything else, she still goes in there because she could tell that they needed a mother figure, especially at that young age, two and three years old. But to so. make that kind of commitment, like I understand that, like you want to be there for someone, even if it's as a friend, but like to be, to make that kind of commitment to get married and, and like there has to be some sort of relationship there previously or it's not like I could walk up to someone on the street and be like, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Do your kids need a mother? Like I can do that yeah. for you. Like, you know, like there must have been some kind of deep bond, even if it wasn't romantic or maybe it was romantic. Who knows? Like I would do that for a friend. Yeah, like, you would do that. I would do that for a, a, a close friend yeah. or something like that that needed, who was desperate for their children to have a mother figure or something. Right. I don't know. Nicole, can you read this? This is from the Wisconsin State Journal, twenty first of May, nineteen ninety five. Diane Borchard, age forty six. Diane Borchard was described as a highly visible person in her community. In addition to being a teacher's aide at the local high school, she operated Mrs. B's sports screen store in downtown Jefferson. Oh, interesting. What year was that? What year was what? That she died. Is that she, an obituary? She's, in, she's not dead. Oh, that's kind of written like an obituary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Shit, it looks I guess like it an is. obituary. Oh, it does. Yeah, all right. Well, it's not. That's oh. crazy. I didn't think about that. Oh, I did. Um, so it's black and white. You have her picture, her age, well, the, and the, you, they prefer to the her as was. The only thing that's missing is she survived by yeah. blah, 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 blah. Well, the paper is old, too, you know. It's not, I mean, it's 94. Doesn't so. matter. We need to call that editor and tell him he was terrible at his job. And if he's dead, then we need to communicate with the dead. Okay, so Diane Borchart, 46, as Nicole said. Now, she is a teacher's aide, so she does a lot of stuff. She's a mother to two kids. Right mm -hmm. now, because they eventually get married within the same year oh. that his wife dies. That's fast. which I, you know, yeah. I don't really think it's here's. here's okay, I'm going to hunt your ass oh. if I die before you and you get married less than a year. Here's the question I have for okay. you guys tonight. And I really want to know what you guys think. And I'm not saying this is wrong by any means. I'm just curious of what everyone thinks. If your wife dies in the home that you share together with her is it weird or does this happen a lot to move your new wife into that same home that you once shared with your deceased wife That's i think it i think it depends i have never been married nor had a spouse die so i can't really comment but i would think that if it was a traumatic death such as the car accident that happened right in front of that house you would want to move your family away from those traumatic memories I would think it's a little weird, but if there was enough time that had passed, mm -hmm. I think I would be okay with but it. But it was less than a year. Oh, then no. That I would not be. Cause that's I think it was so, like nine months. Like her, her, you can probably still smell her perfume on clothes. But, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to give it three years as a minimum. That's a good rule um, for that. But like, I think it would depend on how the spouse died. 
did the spouse die in the house? Because mm. if the spouse died in the house, I know in this case that she didn't. She was dead in a car accident, like you said. Yeah, but she was, I mean, it was basically right in front of the house. It was a snowy February in Wisconsin, which is always snowing I mean, there, that probably. does hold some bad and memories, but she, not technically in the house. She dies literally right on the property line. That's, re- that's borderline for me. And I'm also really curious if... Let's say your spouse dies really suddenly. Would someone be more likely to marry someone that looks like their deceased wife? For instance, like, you know, you wouldn't go marry a blonde if your deceased wife is a brunette. I mean, I guess people have a type. For me, I think my type is personality trait wise, not so much like physical appearance. I mean, like, I definitely have like my qualifications look wise, but like, but. You know, I hate facial hair. I I love it. Mine's 100% appearance and how they look. If they got a big ass, big round ass. Don't have that. Big boobs, you know, hot, you know, nice tight body. That's what I look for at the gym all the time. (laughs) Well, I mean, you guys know me like, I, you know, for me, like no matter. (laughs) Pre-quarantine me. Oh my God. No, stop it. You're literally sitting across the table from me so you can stop that. But like, I don't know. For me, I think it's more personality wise. Like I, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are or whatever, you know, like if, if we click, then we click. Personality doesn't go very far with the lights off and you in bed humping. Hey. If the lights are off, yeah, the lights are off. It doesn't matter. I mean, I wouldn't That's know. That's why you want something hot. I wouldn't know, but I mean, like, <laughs> I don't I'm know just how saying. I should be taking this. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm just saying. Okay, so here's the thing: is like personality. Personality. If you have That's personality, no. Here's my thing. No, no, it's not bullshit. I mean, obviously, you want to have some some sexual attraction to your partner, but yeah, like, because that is important. So all in all, they were married for 14 years before. Her husband gets murdered. I'm not saying it was her that did it, you know, because women don't know how to fire shotguns. But you don't know that. But her. I don't know how to fire shotgun. I don't either. But her husband's family and friends described his wife, Diane, as, quote, cold, controlling and vindictive. Really? Now, her stepson and daughter claimed that she was abusive to them and hmm. she was two-faced. I want to say that Diane and Reuben, before he was murdered, did procreate a Child? human life form. <laughs> <laughs> Could you make that sound any more alien? Yeah, or scientific. <laughs> did she like try to like seduce him because he had the cabinet business and... Um, no, they were the married. Other thing, what are you I, talking about? No, but, I'm saying, but like for his money, because he had the side hustle for the cat. That's like a pretty lucrative no, business, right? No, Isn't it? he was actually not making hardly any money. Oh. And one of the arguments they had was he about money. He was very money. attractive, though. Yeah, he, he is hot. Was she in it just for his looks? She says, even to this day, that she married him for more of a comfort thing for him. That's what, that's her, that's her yeah, words. for him... But like, she says she that a... she was never physically attracted to him like That's that. That's bullshit. Yeah. He was a hottie. I'm just saying what she had Maybe told she reporters. was gay. Maybe. She did father a baby. Nope. N- nope. <laughs> <laughs> she did give birth to a daughter between them. So right now, Diane has a stepson, Chuck, and a stepdaughter, Brooke. And then her own daughter, Reagan, was biologically their DNA matched of her and Reuben. Got it. They had a child together. They had a child together. Got it. They now, made the baby. I'm so confused. So did she know him? She was his secretary? He also worked at a carpentry business. It was like a lumber yard right. or something like that. So she was a secretary there. Not for him. He okay. didn't own the business, but that's how they met. Okay. Because he came back to work a month later Obviously still distraught. And not only that, but guys don't know how to raise children by themselves. You know, so she kind of stepped in for the children. But the good times only lasted so long. And then she started being abusive Mm. from what the stepchildren say to them, as well as verbally abusive and physically in some cases to Reuben, so, the father. So, my, yeah, I guess that answered my question. My question was, like, if she was, said she wasn't attracted to him and she wasn't, like, she didn't have a strong relationship with him from that, from the office, like, if she wasn't his secretary, like, she, it sounds like she must have at one point 
developed a strong relationship with the kids if that was like otherwise Mm. then why even bother i didn't mean to say that she wasn't physically attracted to him what what i meant to say was she had said to multiple reporters that she didn't marry because she fell in love she married him because she wanted to provide that motherly role that her children wasn't getting i'm not saying that she didn't think he was good looking oh because i mean he's obviously a good looking guy yeah I want to say right now that the police immediately suspected her because, and I said this multiple times, but Ruben was sleeping in the basement, but yeah, yeah, he was married to Diane, which also lived in the house, Mm. but she wasn't there that night because police did go down this route of suspecting the mother and the wife. She was actually three hours away in a town called Tomahawk, Mm. Wisconsin. She was spending the night, the Easter Sunday with Ruben's first wife's parents, which what? in itself is freaking weird to me. But yeah, yeah. that's that's strange. strange. Did she have the kids with her? I don't think she had the kids with her, but she did have the family dog. Remember, the kids are all grown up now. Not grown up, but Chuck is 16. Mm. The other one's, you know, about the same age. I know she didn't bring Chuck with her. She probably brought... Reagan? She most likely brought Reagan with oh, her. Brooke and Reagan. But I'm not sure. I didn't see anywhere who she brought. I know she did bring the dog because that was like a big thing. The police did go down that route, but she did have an alibi. She was three hours away. So there's no way she could have done it. But she did have a good motive. Number one, Reuben and Diane, they were going through a divorce. Ah. And a, a very bitter divorce. They were arguing about ownership after the divorce of the house and custody of the children. That even makes it more strange to me as to why she would be at his ex-wife's or former wife's parents' house. Parents' house. Was she a very, like, Christian woman? Did she say she was doing this out of, like, her, like, was she acting sacrificial in what she she did? From what I've seen, she wasn't a very Mm -hmm. Christian woman, but I believe they both were Christian. I know for a fact that Reuben was a Christian because what I'm about to tell you went went opposite of his values. Hmm. But I'm going to go down this road in a minute. But Reuben was sleeping with someone else. A man? No, a man. What? <laughs> I mean, that would have been quite the twist. <laughs> well, you said it was going against his values. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. Good, hey, that how, was a good how guess. How about having an affair? What the fuck? Well, I guess in general, yeah. Adultery. That's a, one of the... Commandments? Top, top 10 commandments. <laughs> top 10 commandments. Hey, you know, TRL live. Uh, we There's not a, a lot going course. on in this house, okay? Like, you know, well, as far as me, I don't know about you guys. You guys do your own thing. But like, you know, there's not a lot going on ever. So sometimes you just got to sensationalize things. I often find out the hard way that all IPAs are not created equal. Some are hot bombs that forget about flavor. Others only taste good if you drink them with a heavy meal. Fortunately, Founders Brewing Company has found a way to enjoy an IPA anytime and at any occasion with their all-day IPA. You can taste the hops, of course, but it's the complex array of malts and grains that make all-day IPA a beer that will grab your attention. Whether you're relaxing after a long day at work or hanging outside with your friends, all-day IPA will become one of your favorites. It's one reason why Founders is in the top 10 of the nation's craft breweries and a staple in my fridge. When you taste all-day IPA, you'll understand how they got there. Look for Founders in your favorite beer store or check out their full line of beer and now hard seltzers, too, at foundersbrewing.com. Founders Brewing Company, born and brewed in Michigan since 1997. Circle K is America's thirst stop. And Dave's, especially when Dave needs refreshments for family movie night. So Dave heads straight to Circle K, where he grabs icy Polar Pop cups and frosters for the kids and chilled beer for the grown-ups. Enjoy family movie night, Dave. We'll be here for you all summer long. And right now at Circle K, save on all 20-ounce Coke products, three for just $4.25. So make us your first stop. Circle K, America's thirst stop. What you're reading now, Nicole, is from Wisconsin State Journal, Wednesday, April 20th, 1994. According to court documents, both had fought for possession of the home, but Family Court Commissioner Michael O'Neiber awarded the residence to Ruben Borchardt for April 15th occupancy on the grounds it would cause less stress on the two children. 
In court documents, Diane Borchardt contended that her husband, who had petitioned for the divorce, was having an extramarital relationship and had been leaving home late at night without telling her or the children where he was going. The court document also accused Ruben Borchardt of being so wrapped up in his affair that it was affecting his business and children and maintenance of the home. Ruben Borchardt in court documents contended his wife was trying to punish him and cause him financial damage. Diane Borchardt argued she had put in significant amount of equity and improvements into the home. So she's fighting him to get the home that he previously owned with his former wife. It doesn't matter. He was, as I'm about to tell you, he was having an affair. She was not. I would believe that if she had a better divorce attorney, she could have got the damn house because not only did she not get the house, but she didn't get any of the assets worth about $300,000 and she didn't get custody of the children. She got nothing at all. And he got everything for having an affair. Divorces work. They try to even it out between both parties. The party that usually gets more is the one that hasn't been screwing someone else. Does that make sense? Because yeah, now you're taking her out, Diane, and you're throwing her on the street. I guess I can while see that. he gets to bone his mistress, yeah. which was also married, which I'll get to. I mean, and I... keep all the house and keep the house and all the valuables and everything. And she gets shit for doing nothing wrong. I can see that. Uh, you know, that it seems like she's being punished for his misdeeds. But at the same time, like these were his things before. before. It doesn't matter but, when you get married. Well, your things become our things. Well, that's that's, that's a, a big re- reason why there are certain states that are considered to be no fault states where it doesn't matter if you're the person who had the affair or not or the reason you just split it. But there are states in which you can be at fault and that does impact your share. And it should. I mean, you're the one. All right. He had an affair and ruined the whole family. They could have went to counseling or whatever, but now she has to move out and he moves his mistress in that house. She gets nothing. But why would you want his house that he's had? It doesn't matter if you, if you get to sell it could be like just the value of it. Maybe Jen getting married means you share everything 50, 50. I don't care if he had a freaking yacht Worth a million dollars before he married you. Now, guess what? You're entitled to half of that motherfucker. That's the point of being married. Yeah, married. So to when me. you get freaking divorced, it's supposed to be evenly split. And it wasn't in this case. She didn't get shit. He got everything. And he's the one that was boning this other girl. I'm just saying. That's how marriages and divorce is supposed to work. So what you're about to read now is actually from the movie plot. Oh, of seduced by madness at the divorce proceedings. Reuben gains custody of Chuck and Diane and goes sole custody of her shop in Reagan. However, to her outrage, Reuben gains custody to the house. Diane is to vacate the property within one month and silently promises to enact revenge on Reuben. Reuben is a cabinet maker, like I said, and he married Diane, but their marriage is kind of shitty. Right. It's falling apart all over the Loveless. damn place. A loveless relationship, fighting, arguing all the damn time. He meets this girl, Judy Franz, F-R-A-N-T-Z, while he's installing cabinets in her home slash her husband's home. She's actually married to the city manager, Carl Franz. Hans and Franz. Yeah. (laughs) Now, here's kind of how it goes down. He's installing cabinets. Oh, I like these little handles. And I like your handle, you know. Whoa! She's talking about his knob next? (laughs) He's at the house installing cabinets, and then he starts to talk about his woes with his wife. And she doesn't love me, and she calls me a little bitch. Mm. And then, like, the next time he's over there doing more cabinet work, she starts to talk about her relationship that sucks. Oh, this guy's old. You know, he's got wrinkly balls, you know. He's got a five-year plan. Don't die. The affair was public knowledge. Everyone in Jefferson knew about the affair. And keep in mind, the mistress's husband was a high-ranking town official. Right. And the whole thing was public knowledge. Everyone knew. And then a few months later, Diane finds out. Uh Uh-oh. This right here is a reading from Seduced by Madness. Diane then accuses Reuben of spoiling his own children and neglecting Reagan and says that he ought to be making more money. 
Ruben tries to reason with Diane when suddenly, without provocation, Diane hits him in the head with a label gun. Bow! Like one of those sticker guns? Yeah. <laughs> like the label gun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. I thought it was like a legitimate gun. No, a label gun. No. Like you make little labels like for your locker. Like Click. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. No, the label, like you label, label your locker. Maker? Yeah, label maker. Like John's locker is a label. Oh, gun. not like he a price know, tag maker? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I do. I know what you're talking about. But we don't have them as guns anymore. They're like keyboards and you have to type them out and hit print. Anyway, Ruben later admits to Claire that his marriage was a mistake. Claire also reveals that she and her husband have also grown apart in recent years. When the project is finished, Ruben admits his true feelings for Claire and kisses her on impulse. He then leaves her confused, <laughs> only to return. And this time, the two proceed to kiss each other passionately okay so this this movie is obviously quote based on a true story but i thought it was funny to throw it in there the court actually orders diane out on april 15th 1994 now the murder happened when the third april 3rd Mm -hmm. so by the 15th she's got to be moved out and that's 21 26 years ago today and not only that but ruben said I'm going to need you to pack up your shit and move out. And as soon as you do, I'm moving my hot mistress in here and we're going to bone. Do you have a picture of his mistress? I don't. I try to find her, but I can't find her. She's probably really hot, though. Why do you say that? (laughs) Why don't you Google a picture of the mayor of the city manager? And there's probably a picture of her with him at an event. Ooh. They got divorced. I don't even know what her name would be now. Ruben tells Diane, listen, you got to move out because I'm trying to get some strange in here. He wants his mistress to move in. So she's kind of pissed off about this. Not only did she lose the house and everything because this guy can't keep his ween ween in his little trouser palsers. Wow, that's the first time you've ever used that term. It's better than big sparky time. Yeah, I don't like big sparky time. So Diane's like, okay, I got you, boo. I got you, baby boy. We're going to do this my way, apparently. So she gets Marie Ruiz, which is a foster child. On top of all this other stuff they're doing, they're also fostering a 15-year-old, which seems fucking awful. During a divorce? This 15-year-old that was living with the couple at the time testifies that she tells the court that they went on a road trip a few days before the murder Because she wanted to go buy all these little shady motels and collect receipts to prove that Ruben was having coitus with Judy. So she like followed him to all of these gross motels? She goes and gets all these receipts. And not only that, they actually stop at a little pawn shop to get a receipt for a pair of sapphire earrings that her husband bought for the married Judy France. Really? Which is kind of fucked up. Because, yeah. you know, he was religious. So and, and in fact, I read in one paper that he wasn't allowed to receive communion one weekend or whenever y'all do that church thing, because Every everyone knows about the affair. And the preacher or the priest or whoever, the pope, says, hey, you can't take this bread and this wine Whoa, because you've been cold. But it's still pretty cold to do that off of a rumor. Like, you don't know that for a fact. I mean, everyone knows because, but still, if they like, you wouldn't, I I can't imagine. You saw saw this guy. He's a good looking guy and everything else. And he's a good guy. That's what everyone says. But he falls in teenage love with this mistress. Like they're all like giddy, giddy, like, let's go to the park and, do each other, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. And they're going to the movies, and he may be grabbing her boots, you know. A day before the murder, they get into a domestic argument. She goes to the police station, shows bruises, and everything else. The stepson, Chuck, on his second interview with the police, says something that he's never said before. This is what he said. I can't believe she would do this yes. to me. Are you sure? Yes, I'm positive. Chuck, you didn't say that before. I know. You did not say that to me. I can't believe mm, she would do this. I wonder this why. Thing. Is that true or is that something that you just... No, I'm positive. So Chuck says, I can't believe she would do this to me, is what his father said while he was dying. They actually put Chuck under hypnosis to kind of recall the events that happened. Because they were really convinced at first it was him. 
for whatever reason, probably because he, he's so calm on the 911 call. Mm. The Jefferson County DA, Linda Larson, said that Diane did this as, quote, a killing to end a divorce and that she was, quote, losing it all. In fact, Diane made statements to a friend, which testified in court as well, in 1991 on how she hated her husband and how she hoped he would finally find someone else. But when he did, she would, quote, hire a hitman to kill him. What? Nicole, if you can read this, this is from the Wisconsin State Journal, May 14th, 1995. Victim feared wife, girlfriend says. Ruben Borchardt allegedly devised warning system. Ruben Borchardt put jars outside his bedroom as a warning device because he feared his estranged wife, Diane, would come down and stab him. Jurors were told Saturday in the murder for hire trial of Diane Borchardt. Whoa. Ruben Borchardt's then girlfriend, Judy Franz, 37, testified he told her he was afraid Diane Borchardt may try to bob at him. Whoa, Lorraine like Lorena. Whoa, yeah. Referring to Lorena Bobbitt, the woman who severed her husband's penis during a marital dispute in a nationally publicized case. Fran said that he placed empty glass mayonnaise jars on the concrete floor so an intruder would knock them over and alert him. He didn't die? No, he didn't. No, they fucking <gasps> sewed his penis back on. He's actually a por- really? Yeah, he's a porn star now. Wait, he's a porn star? Yeah, he's done porn. I haven't seen it. Well, shit, we've all done porn, Jen. Not me. Fuck? No um, one wants to see that I fucking shit. Of, well, I don't really know the Bobbitt story, but I do kind of want to see the the. There's photos. an HBO documentary. Judy Frost testified that her boyfriend, Ruben, came up to her and said, she may try to Bobbit me. Bobbit. She actually used that word, Bobbit. Ruben also told Judy on the day before his death that he felt Diane, quote, was up to something hmm. because she was going out of town on Easter weekend. But she didn't kill, right? Because she was out of town. Apparently. Right. I mean, but. She hired someone. Mm-hmm. Who? The Tiger King. Keep thinking. The son. The daughter. A friend of the sons the that priest. he made. Sunway Hall. Study Hall. Diane shows. A student. Diane. Which... She was a student aide. One of her students. Yes. Teacher's aide. She was a, one of our students, someone at the school. Diane would constantly show up at Judy's door, banging, causing a scene, a ruckus. You want to come out? You want to mess with my man, bitch? You going to come out here and you going to get a whoop ass. Okay. February 1994. Diane, they're still married. Right. They're about to get divorced. But okay. this is crazy. Diane kissed Ruben, quote, hard, hard. On the lips. So she she kissed some hard on the lips, like... Like open mouth or not? And then she looks back, leans forward, puts her mouth on his ear lobe, gives a little lick, and then says, quote, you're dead. Woo! I've heard the ear lobe is very sensitive. This was described... This was described in court by Judy France, the girlfriend... And she said that it reminded her of a mafia don giving the kiss of death. Whoa, like Judas. Bad ass. And he died on <laughs> Easter. Like got some mad points, Diane. She died on you Easter. He died on Easter. And she was like his <laughs> Judas. Whoa, mind blown. You know what I was thinking about when we saw her obituary, not obituary picture? Yeah. She looked like, um, what's the mean one from Golden Girls? Dorothy! Yeah, it seems like something that also Dorothy would do, and she kind of looks like Dorothy. This is a scene from Seduced by Madness. Before leaving, Diane forces Ruben to kiss her in front of the cops and whisper to him, You're dead. So the mafia kiss of death, like the uh, Sopranos. Remember they took that guy out on the boat? And they gave him a kiss? Remember that? Yep. It's literally the move of Judas. Like, this has been talked about many, many, many a time. Four months go by. They still have not got the killer. Really? But 
A tipster called in. How? Fucking snitch. Snitches get stitches, bitches. Whoa, nice <laughs> rhyming. Proud of you. A tipster calls in and says, I know who did it. <laughs> it was three kids and they're students at Jefferson High. Really? He says that two students went down to shoot Ruben. The other student went and unhooked the phone. This is when the cops knew that this was a legit tipster because the unhooking of the phone was not public knowledge. Oh. So they knew that this has to be the thing. As I said before, Diane, the one that lost everything because he couldn't keep his little Peter Weeder. Who I'm now picturing Dorothy from Golden Girls. Go on. She was a teacher's aide in a study hall monitor, whatever the fuck that is. We didn't have that. We had detention and I was there all the time. Yeah, well, when I was in high school, <laughs> when I was in high school, we actually had a study period where like you can just like go to the cafeteria and or do your library. homework. Yep. Yeah, for or losers. Diane was also a study hall monitor and this is basically what happens. She goes in there all bitter. Woe is me. My husband is having coitus and intercourse with another woman. Not only that, he's getting awarded the home. Everything. I'm losing everything. Not only that, but he's beating the shit out of me at night, which there was no evidence that that actually happened. But she appealed to the students. In fact, one of the students she appealed to also went through the physical abuse at his home. So he's starting to relate to her. Was there a sexual thing going there on with No, her? that's a good question. There was not a sexual thing at all. Hmm. And that was one How of the roads I... How else could she have gotten it? Because this is Mrs. B. It's like Mrs. Frizz from uh, Magic School Bus. Miss Frizzle. What if she comes to freaking work and on the bus and she's like, you know what, kids? I don't think we should shrink down and go into the human genome today. That because, was my favorite episode. <laughs> because, I love the Magic School Bus. Because my boyfriend just beat the tits out of me and she's got a black eye and shit. That's going to piss you off. You're going to be like, where's that motherfucker at? Let's make this bus, you know, human size again so I can get off and go shoot him. So she appeals to a few of the kids. Doug Vest, a 16-year-old, was kind of the ringleader behind this. Now, there was a few others, but the ones I'm talking about tonight are the ones that got charged. So these are the key players. Doug Vest recruits his classmate, Josh Yonke, and he also recruits his own 15-year-old cousin, Michael Maldonado. Now, Michael is the youngest is at 15. Okay, now here are the kids right here. Go GoTalkMurder.com. Here's what they were promised. Number one, $600 up front. What? I believe they would have got lighter sentences if it wasn't a financial gain for them. Because I I do believe, as you'll see, that they were impacted emotionally and thought it was the right thing to do to kill her abusive husband. But they did take money. $600 up front in cash. They actually met at her t-shirt shop, got cash in the envelope, which I want to point out. There was no evidence of that hmm. at all. Well, and yeah, I, it's I feel cash like, flow. I feel like the defense should have argued that more. A promise of $20,000 after, Whoa! you know, because he had $100,000 in life insurance. So a promise of $20,000 after the deed was done. Holy shit, in 94, that'll pay for at least two years of college. Yeah. Who the shit wants to pay for college? So here's what happened. They all go to the house. She had drawn a map and everything. They get to the house 3.30 in the morning, and then they immediately think they should back out. But Michael Maldonado, the 15-year-old, was like, fuck no, we're here now. We're going to blast a cap in this asshole. That's what he said. So he kind of pushed them forward. Now, Michael Maldonado was the trigger man from what? Because they all confessed eventually, and they all claimed that he was a trigger man. Jury, in the words that you remember, what Mr. Maldonado said when he took the gun. Said, we are here to do this. There's no turning back. Now let's go do it. That was Josh Yankee on the witness stand. He said, the judge said, tell me what Michael Maldonado said once you guys pulled up. And Josh Yankee said, we're here to do this. There's no turning back. Let's go. Now, that's important because they all did want to leave. They got cold feet. 
Michael Maldonado takes the 410 sawed-off shotgun. They find a way in through the back door. It was unlocked. Now, Josh Yankee was the one that disconnected the phone line, but he panicked and ran back into the car. The other two, Doug Vest and Michael Maldonado, they're the ones that were with the father and actually shot him, Michael Maldonado being the trigger man. In the basement, they start walking down, but Ruben was awakened by the sound of them entering, so they meet at the stairs. Maldonado takes a shotgun, puts it really close to his chest. I mean, I'd imagine the boys were maybe on the fourth step and Ruben was on the first and walking up, Mm -hmm. shoots him right in the chest. He flies backwards. The boys reload the shotgun. Ruben gets back up to the first step of the platform and then gets shot again. And then they leave. And then that's where the 911 calls comes in. Yeah, it did take months because... You know, that no one was coming forward. In fact, um, the police had an interview with Diane the next morning to rule her out, but her lawyer called. Mm. She's not going to be attending this interview. So that was kind of suspicious. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Please, I say this all the time. Don't go into an interview room by yourself. Get a motherfucking lawyer. I don't care what it is. I don't care how innocent you are. Get a lawyer straight off the bat. I guess my question is, where did they get the shotgun from? Like, did did hmm. she provide it to them? Or was it something that one of the kids had from one of their fathers or mothers or like? I think they got it through a peer because there was a fifth person that was charged as conspiring with this. But I'm not going to go into that. And it was a, another classmate, a female and I saw that she provided the link to the shotgun, but I, I didn't really go into wow. that too much. So this is another reading from Seduced by Madness. Chuck soon wakes up to find his father bleeding to death on the stairs and calls 911 while Reuben calls Judy. As Reuben fights for his life, he proclaims his love for her and leaves his children in her care. Reuben is rushed to the hospital where his family gathers to learn of his condition. Judy soon shows up to see Reuben, only to discover that he has died. So that's most likely fabrication. He's not sitting there while his son's calling 911, and he's like, oh, I'm going out, baby. You know, this is the last for me, but I love you. Take care of my kids. You know, I mean, that's just kind of fanciful. Does um, the, the kid that cut the phone cord and didn't have anything to do with the shoot, like, wasn't present during the shooting did he get less time than the other two yeah that's a, actually a really good question so that was josh yankee that cut the phone line and then he runs back out to the car because mm-hmm. he got cold feet so here's how it works when there's multiple parties involved they were all involved in this murder these three kids mm-hmm. and the uh, obviously the mother right they try to find the person who had the least involvement and will probably get the lighter sentence anyway. And they try to get him to work for the state to turn the state's evidence against the other two. So kind of like an informant? Yeah, kind of like an informant. So that's how they usually do these cases with more than one party. So that's what they did. They went to Josh Yankee, which, you know, he was there at the murder house, but he just cut the phone and then went in the car. They said, listen, if you plead no contest and work with us, the state of Wisconsin— you know, in the DA, then we'll offer you a deal. And that deal was just over 10 years. So he basically got out. I mean, he's out now, obviously. Yeah. He's, he's served he's his time. He's been out for like 15 years, 16 years. Because these kids are minors, okay, 16 and 15, they did offer them plea bargains. They actually went up to Doug Vest and offered him a plea deal that was very generous, it was 13 years if he confessed to the murder. Really? But he decided to turn it down and play his luck in the courtroom and have a full trial. Really? And that didn't work for him. I've never been involved like this before in anything. And I guess I have to learn the hard way. Sorry to Ruben's mother and his kids and all his friends at Noma. You can see by his statement that he does feel a lot of remorse for what he did, but he turned down a 13-year plea deal, which was not a smart move. He got sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 25 years. Wow. 
So, I mean, 25 years is now 2020. Yeah. You know, about. So he could be getting out now, but he could have got out, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. Michael Maldonado played a different tune altogether. You know, he's a trigger man and 15 year old. He actually claimed that. He wasn't even at the murder house. He was actually at home sleeping. What? Really? That was his alibi. Oh, wow. please. This right here is the judge, Jacqueline Irwin. For the jury to believe your alibi, they would have to conclude that no fewer than seven people committed perjury. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? So he actually gets life with the possibility of parole after 50 years, wow. which I believe is pretty harsh because he was a 15-year-old. Right. You know, well, but I mean... Normally, like we've gone through this a couple times, life for life, like I don't really feel bad, minor, not minor. But we've come to a couple of cases recently thinking of the DC sniper where they might even be reconsidering that because of the age he was in which he committed those murders. Thinking of it from that lens, that is kind of a surprise surprising sentence and i wonder if that will get revisited if laws change i don't disagree with that sentence i wonder how much diane had i mean had to do with the fact that he committed the crime i mean we all know that she promised him funds um six hundred dollars for the act and twenty thousand dollars after that's that's a lot of money for a 15 year old you know like right now i mean if someone offered me twenty thousand dollars today to do something it would it would really have to be out of my wheelhouse for me to say no you know yeah that's a that's a lot of money um but at the same time not only was the trigger man it's not like he sat there scared and did it like he was the one that talked to the other kids and was like you know we're here for a reason we're gonna do this you know so i don't disagree with that sentence for life but i want to know what she got oh she's got off scot-free what (laughs) no i'm just fucking with you oh my god (laughs) i was gonna say so even till this day she actually proclaims her innocence this is fuck her this is from american justice the whole story doesn't even add up and in all honesty if i were that mad at my husband he made me learn how to shoot i don't like guns but i happen to be a pretty good shot if i was gonna have something done to reuben I think I'm smart enough to have figured out a hunting accident or something. Oh, yeah, that's the alternative theory. (laughs) So she actually, till this day, still proclaims her innocence. She was sentenced to life in prison on August 1st, 1995. And she's still there and she'll be there until the day she dies. Nice. Um, Now, there was a fifth person charge. I'm just throwing this in there because I want to say I didn't go down this road because she was only facing... 18 months anyway, but Shannon Johnson, she was a conspirator. There was also a few more kids that were brought in to be questioned hmm. and they were about to be tried as well, but but nothing panned out with hmm. that. So so the three kids involved, only one of them, I believe, is out of prison now and she's in prison for life. So thank you so much, Rowan. I absolutely enjoyed the story. I really did. I'm really surprised I haven't heard it before because this has been remade into a few different uh, documentary series. It was on that show Snapped, for instance. And I'm just so glad that you requested this. It was really interesting. So thank you so much. If you guys enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our student, go to talkmore.com slash join. Become a Talco Supremo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate it to you in study hall. My name is John here with Jen and Nicole. And until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people. So Ruben actually tells Diane because the court order, the court order, the court order came, the court order, the court order, court order, court order, the court order. That's my Mr. Movie phone voice. Loosely based? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, loosely like the mistress. I mean, her vagina is loose because she gets gets boned by that Ruben sandwich. Ew. In her sandwich, in her roast beef. Ew. A Reuben sandwich in a roast beef. Uh-uh. <laughs>
Reuben roast, is corned beef. Yeah, but Get roast, right. roast beef is like vagina that's like Saggy. all ripply and saggly. And it, sometimes it hangs Sa- out. Actually, you can regrow your penis. It's like a, a lizard. You take the tail off. Or a starfish. Because I remember when I was in the military, mine got like snapped off when I was jumping out of an airplane. And it like regrew back in two years. It's fucking crazy. I mean, it's still like an inch right now, but it's growing. <laughs> it's continuing to grow. It's pretty pathetic looking. <laughs> I hate you sometimes. But those are expensive. And I know I just got my stimulus check, but like... I put, Yeah, I got the positive today. It did. But... Um, $1,200. I didn't get any fucking money. Because you don't pay taxes. That's because all my money goes to the Cayman Islands, bitches. At Huntington, we've been asking ourselves, can we make saving money any easier? And we think we've solved it. Introducing Money Scout. It analyzes your spending habits, income, and expenses to find money not being used in your checking account, then pushes it to savings automatically. Why would a bank do that? Just to help people thrive. That's how we reinvent banking. Huntington, welcome. Subject to eligibility, terms, conditions, and account agreements. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. Maddie's believes nature is beautiful, majestic, serene. But human nature is inventive, intrepid, reckless. Nature says, look how many colors I can fit in a sunset. Human nature says, look how many hot wings I can fit in my mouth. But human nature needs nature. That's why there's Maddie's All Natural Acid and Indigestion Relief, a drug-free remedy for human nature, available at Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, and Amazon. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.